Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Autosport International, live at the NEC. Come to Autosport International as we celebrate 70 years of the Italian supercar legend, Ferrari. Get up close to an amazing array of race and road cars. Meet motorsports legends, including Red 5 himself, Nigel Mansell. And there's more, much, much more. Don't miss Autosport International, live at the NEC on the 13th and 14th of January. Book online at autosportinternational.com. It's the Autosport Podcast. We preview the 64th Macau Grand Prix and ask if anyone can beat Lando Norris to victory. It's that time of year again. The Macau Grand Prix is coming up, so we wanted to preview what should be one of the biggest events of the year, certainly Formula 3's Blue Ribband race. And to look ahead to that, we've got a, a very well-qualified panel to talk about the, the Macau Grand Prix and Formula 3 in general from all sorts of different perspectives. I'm your host, Ed Straw, and joining me first is also sports Marcus Simmons, who I've written down here, legendary F3 journalist, which I think is probably giving you a bit too much credit, but you've certainly been doing it for quite a long time. You, you, you know your stuff. Yes, thank you for calling me legendary, Ed. Probably not always for the right reasons, but uh, yeah, bit of a bit of a veteran now. Um, actually, only 
this will only be my seventh Macau, so I'm not quite as qualified as the other guests you've got in. Um, but yeah, it's a it's a great event. Next up, we have Formula Three racer in his own right, a race winner during his F3 career from 2003 to 2006, and now High Tech GP's driver coach, Danny Watts. Now, Danny, you did Macau three times. It wasn't your happiest hunting ground safe to say but well it depends what you mean out of the car it was in the evenings it was <laughs> it's my favorite place but on track oh well, i did 13 consecutive years in all sorts of different things from formula asia 2000 my first year to learn the circuit for f3 three years in f3 which i think it'd be fair to say didn't go too great um and then i moved to porsche carrera cup and won in that and then most recently in the in the macau gt cup when you first went there did you win in that formula asia was it yeah, it was Formula Asia 2000, and that was back then when there were no simulators to learn the circuit, so it was a case of using that as my way of learning the track for the more important following years in the Formula 3 car. Um, and I guess back then, the only way of learning the circuit was literally to go around in a taxi late at night um, and pay the taxi driver a lot of Hong Kong dollars just to simply learn the circuit when it was less busy than the daytime. Um, and late at night was the best time to do it when it was dark but ultimately less traffic so you can get more laps done our final guest is matt ogle lando norris's engineer at uh, carlin so you haven't had a, a bad season with uh, lando winning the f3 uh, the f3 european title winning at macau last year with uh, antonio felix da costa but first before we get into that i do want to ask about because i think you worked with danny at macau back when you were in your engine days yeah, at, so, at neil brown uh what year would it have been maybe 2004 i think when you did uh macau was it Primatech me with the Honda engine? It was 03 with Docco, wasn't it? That's right, Alan yeah. Dockin. That's it, and Korea as well, Macau and Korea when it was... Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Changwon, around the stadium. Yeah, so a long time ago, but yeah. I was down on power. <laughs> I don't even know <laughs> I, bl- I blame this man. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll come on to uh, your chances this year. Obviously, you're going in as, uh, as favourite with, with Lando, but first up, let's just talk a little bit about the Macau Grand Prix itself. It's, it's an amazing event, an amazing circuit and it, it really is it's more than just a race isn't it Danny I guess you've had the, the the most experience there so what is it about Macau and, and that track that makes it so good I'm talking about particularly the on-track stuff not off-track stuff which oh really, really enjoys. that's the only reason why I'm here um well it's at the beginning of the year when you look at the Formula 3 calendar it's the first one that springs to mind that you you know you're really looking forward to um especially when I did the British Championship struggled to get excited about going to Snetterton or Knock Hill when we race there but Macau yes yeah, certainly it's a unique event and one which brings together or used to bring together the best from Japan the best from the Euro Series um, and the best from Britain of course that's all now changed and this year unfortunately the entry list is slightly down on what it has been in previous years but I still think that if you look down the the entry list that it's very very strong indeed it's sort of not not necessarily quantity but certainly you've definitely got quality there but the track itself is a huge challenge it's one where you have to be very precise accurate you know you have to have a good car aero makes a big difference as I'm sure Matt will touch base on a little bit later but for you it's um, as a driver you learn so much over that whole week with especially like track evolution from you know that first practice session on the Thursday where it's very slippery low grip We've got all the buses and taxis and the cars driving around it. And then as you proceed over the course of the weekend, it get more rubber goes down. And you don't actually change too much in your driving, but the lap time just improves. And you have to just be disciplined and focused in your driving, not to actually push too hard um, early on in the weekend. 
And of course, the the worst case scenario is you hit the wall early on. That definitely puts not only you, but the team on the back foot in terms of mileage over the course of the weekend. So it's a huge, huge tra- challenge. And you just have to look down the previous winners and they're all you know, top quality drivers that have gone on to bigger and better things. And certainly if you've got Macau uh, win, a Macau win on your CV, it certainly opens up doors uh, onwards and upwards in, in motorsport. Danny touched on it being a smaller entry for this year. And I think yeah, we should mention um, maybe Barry Bland, who um, coordinated the race from 1983 up to, um, well, most of the way through 2016. He only um, stepped down uh, from those duties a couple of months before the race. And uh, sadly, Barry passed away in July. Um, and um, it was a big shock to everyone involved um, in Macau because he was such a great bloke. But um, yeah, Barry was always the master of pulling together um, a full field of real quality um, drivers and teams that, that he wanted to, wanted to be there. And, um, and I think yeah, that, that's one of the things that the race is, is, the race is missing now because uh, Barry's contacts were so impeccable with pulling sponsorship deals together for people just on the quiet you know just making sure that he had the best possible grid um but you know unfortunately he's he is irreplaceable um I don't blame anyone for the entry being low and I think also partly we're seeing the effects of um you know, the European Championship this year has had grids around 19 20 21 cars um, and you've only got the Japanese championship, which has 10 or 11. So so you're struggling to make a full 28-car field. And with the new um, update kits that were introduced to the F3 cars this year, some of those other teams who maybe might have come back to Macau having sat out the season, they just don't have the, don't have the hardware to, to go and race there. So it's a little bit of a shame, mix of reasons, but, um, but it's still a top-quality entry, I think. I think, uh, like Danny said, it's a smaller grid than... It's been in the past, but quality is still there. And I, personally, I'm really looking forward to it. I think it's going to be a classic year. Um, looking at the entry list, some some of the drivers that are, are coming, you've got a lot of quality. So I, I think it's going to be a, a classic myself. As the saying goes, you only need two drivers to make a race and there's more than two contenders there. But from the engineer's perspective, what are the challenges of getting a car that works well for Macau? Yeah, so it's a street circuit. At the beginning of the weekend, it's very slippy, dusty, dirty, oily, like uh, Danny also said, you know, you get buses and everything on there. Um, so the track is going to progress. So the balance you have in the beginning of the weekend, you won't have at the, the end of the weekend. So you have to be uh, very active with your setup, making sure that you're uh, reacting to the, the change in the circuit conditions, both mechanically and aerodynamically. Um and also for the drivers, they also have to adapt their driving style depending on the, the grip levels. Um, so, yeah, it, it's a, a tough one all round for engineers and drivers, also mechanics who have to put broken cars back together in very short periods of time. Um, so, yeah, it, it's, it's very tough for everybody. And mentioning that thing of the track evolving over the weekend, how do you go about anticipating where the track's going to be because if you go out in first practice if you set the car up for the conditions exactly there and then by the time you get to the race it's going to have got away from you so how do you factor that in yeah so the the formula three cars aren't the first cars on the on the circuit i think they have the bikes uh, the uh, chinese touring cars have a a session or so before we actually see the track so it's not completely green but you know like norris ring for example when we go there we're the first ones on track, so it's incredibly dusty, very difficult to drive 
for the first 10 minutes or so. Um, and like I say, you, you know, you have to be aware of the balance that you're going to have and the feedback you get back from your driver after the first free practice. You know, if he's saying he's got understeer, he's got oversteer, you have to sort of second guess or, you know, use your experience a little bit to, to know how that balance is going to evolve as the track gets one, two, three, even four seconds quicker between the first session and the actual fastest lap of the race. So, yeah, it's really quite interesting. How's that from the driver's perspective? Will you be there furious at how the car is initially or can you, with a bit of experience, no, you hold have yourself to be back very self-disciplined in knowing that the track is not going to feel great and probably, therefore, the cars are not going to feel great. But you don't really want to be making too many changes in that first one. It's just more, you're going to get more out of a driver and the driver learning the circuit, getting into it, because it doesn't matter how many... Uh, hundreds of laps you may have done on the simulator it's just absolutely totally different when you get there and real feeling the actual bumps and the cambers in some of the corners especially you know sector two where it's a lot of change of direction actually the first practice is basically for me always just for me to get my eye in get my get a feeling for the circuit not even pushing 100 percent, just driving around and getting a feel for it um uh, and just getting more mileage because mileage over the Macau weekend is very, very limited. And then you have to throw in the fact that there's always guaranteed red flags because someone's going to crash at some point that you know you're going to be limited. So actually, from my point of view as an ex-driver's perspective, it's all about me getting, you know, getting my eye in and getting some experience of the circuit, just getting a feel for what it's like and actually not really changing too much because I know I'm going to find more out of me than what I am making a small setup change to the car. Well, we've we declared Lando to be the favourite. We can get on some of the other challenges later on, but Marcus, you've covered the whole season. What have you made of of what you've seen from from Lando? Obviously, he's very highly rated. He's got this reserved role with McLaren now, Formula One. So obviously, he's done a good job of impressing the right people. But what what have you made of him? And perhaps we can compare your impressions with uh, with those of Matt and Danny to see if you you all agree on his strengths. I think he's been great, and I, I actually would extend that across the the top three or four drivers in the championship this year. I think I think there's been like superb quality at the the front of the field, and uh, and that's driven them all on. Um, I would say that he's been the most relentlessly quick guy this year, and I think, uh, and I'm not just saying this because Matt's sitting here, but I think the Carlin car has probably been the most consistent this year because um, there have been a, a, a few sessions over the year where Motor Park and Prema, who've been running, well, Motor Park have been running Joel Eriksson and Prema, Maxi Gunter and Callum Eilat. And, you know, they've, they've had sessions where they've just been a bit nowhere, really. Um, whereas you've, you've never really seen that from Lando or the, or the Carlin team. And um, he's incredibly quick, first of all, but it's not just that. What I love, um, what I love watching about him is uh, the fact that he just gets really st- stuck in and has a go in races as well. Um, really good to watch. Um, sometimes he brought that on himself by making not very good starts over the first half of the season. But because he does really like racing and battling, that's really great to see. And he was able to minimise the, the damage um, on quite a few of those occasions. Um, so, yeah, I really enjoyed watching him. I um, think he's a great talent. Matt, what's the experience of working with him, man, do you recognise the driver that Marcus has talked about? Obviously, you know, yeah, achievements. It's clear, but how sharp is this guy? So, you know, he's got a remarkable ability to drive the car on the limit, um, feel the limit of the grip, feel the tire. He knows what he's got underneath him. That puts a lot more pressure on us as a team to give him a car that he can be at the front with. Um, so, when he has a session where he's not quite been at the front, he he's very 
firm with uh, saying exactly what the problem is and helping us as engineers to identify what we can change to make it a little bit better. Um, and it's tough, it's difficult, but you know, you'd rather have a fast driver giving you stick than a slow one telling you what he perhaps could have done. So um, yeah, I think he's a, a, a brilliant, young, talented driver who can give feedback to the engineers as well as just you know drive the car. And another thing I find quite interesting and refreshing about Lando is that he does actually admit to making mistakes a lot more than many other racing drivers do. I'm, I'm, I'm guessing that makes the engineering job easier if he's not trying to cover up the fact that he's not performed at 100%. Yeah, I mean, like any successful person, you know, you have to be honest with your mistakes and honest with yourself as to what has gone wrong. If you, if you try and hide behind excuses, then you're not going to improve. So Lando is very honest with things that he hasn't perhaps uh, done quite right. And so that's enabled us all to work on the weaknesses and make them into strengths. Danny, as a driver coach, you'll have spent a lot of time watching what Lando's doing while trying to help the opposition perform a bit better against him. What have you seen? I suppose the way I'd explain it is uh, Joel Erickson, Jake Hughes, Eilot, they all can be up there and as good, if not quicker, than Lando, but not on a consistent level and not every single race where Lando is always there every single session, every single race meeting. He was always up there knocking at the door, whether the other guys and even other people that I haven't mentioned would be a little bit more up and down and less consistent. I think that's the the biggest thing that I've noticed. And one other thing is where he was really impressive was on cold tyres or initially out the pits, warming up and, and getting on it. He was very impressive in terms of getting on it straight out the box for me, having watched quite a lot. But of course, now we're going to Macau, it's a different story, different type of surface. It's very slippery, as we mentioned earlier. You've got the some quick Japanese guys, the guy that finished runner-up and the guy that finished fourth that are wanting to state their claim. And Tom's always put out a good car at Macau. Um, they've always been quick and uh, and put out a very, very strong car for that one-off event, for sure. So I'd say it's slightly unpredictable. Um but I think it's definitely down to who's done the best preparation before even getting there, you know. And of course, you can go into Macau as favourite, but it's always referred to as a lottery. OK, you've got to set the lap times, you've got to get the car up there. But there's a lot of things that can, can go against you that are completely outside of your control. A badly timed red flag in, in qualifying someone else's accident. There's so many pitfalls that even if you, even if you were head and shoulders better than everyone else, which is very hard to be given the quality of entry, you're not guaranteed to be able to deliver a win yeah you, you need to be quick there's no doubt about it there is a little bit of luck involved um you know like you say safety cars or, or that sort of thing but if you need to be fast you need to be quick through the mountain you need to be quick on the straights um and if, if you're not then you're going to struggle i've got a question for you matt what do you set the car up for the mountain section where you need the aero and mechanical grip or you like the speed on the straight the top speed to overtake both Good <laughs> and where exactly is that compromise then is that is that easy to achieve i mean the 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 basic thing is the uh the amount of downforce you run so um the more you more wing you put on the quicker you'll be in sector two through the mountain section um it's quite quick up there you know you need the downforce for the braking that sort of thing but every one hole you put on you lose a little bit of speed on the straight so in sector one um it's going to cost you by having it on. I think that's why it's very important to have a good car mechanically because you can sort of 
gain that grip through the mountain session uh, section, sorry, um, mechanically, and then not have to carry the the extra aero on the on the straight. So yeah, I think the one thing from a driver's point of view you want is the low aero because there's only really and truly one overtaking place, right? Which is into Lisboa, and I mean it's all well and good qualifying on pole. But I wouldn't want to be leading after that first left-hander going down into Lisboa because you're definitely um, going to get swallowed up and overtaken into Lisboa at the end of that long, long straight. And I think with the new aero kits, would you agree that the toe is even more sensitive this year? Yeah. And this will be the longest straight of the season, right? Yeah, it it definitely seems like, um, like you say, with the new aero kit, the toe is worth a little bit more than it it has been over the last few years. So I think that's going to make for a more exciting race. and it is very easy to to get consumed with being quick on the straight. You do need to consider that you do have to have some pace through the mountain because if you can pull away from the guys behind you and give yourself about a second gap heading onto the pit straight, then you know even if you are a couple of k's down, that they're not quite going to get. And past breaking you. the toe around here is everything, right? It's everything, yeah. From a driver's perspective, if you're running the car more lean should we say how much more difficult does that make the mountain section because for those who are not familiar with it it's very tight very twisty there's no margin for error it's well worth for those who aren't familiar with it having a bit of a bit of a look online to see some onboards but how much difference does it actually make if you're in that position where you've leaned it off so you're not a sitting duck on the straights but then you're almost hanging on to the car the rest of the time so basically in a nutshell if you're leading the race uh, I'm not too bothered about the mountain section. I just want to be as quick as I can down the straight because that's the only place you're going to overtake. Once you get out of Lisboa Corner, which in effect is what, turn three on a normal track map, then I know that nobody is going to overtake me until once I get back onto that start finish straight and down to Lisboa. But of course, yes, that's me, a driver. I want to be as quick as I can on the straight to give them less opportunity of, o- of overtaking. But on the other hand, Matt's right. You need that mechanical balance. You need that extra aero to get up sector two. But I think the key word is compromise. I think maybe what you'll find is some teams will change that or have a different strategy on where they want to be quick because you can't really have both, right? Where do you want to be quick? I mean, do you want to be quick on the straight? Do you want to be quick in the mountain? Are you going to be wanting a bit more aero for the mountain in quali? So it's a bit more hooked up and then take the wing off for the race to give you that overtaking opportunity. There's so many different variables and factors that you have to throw into the case. Where are you starting on the grid? Are you at the front? Are you in the midfield? Do you need to come through in race one to go for the big one, which is the race two on Sunday? It's it's a, a game of cat and mouse, right? And a, again, that key word of compromise. Also, the I think the, the way you use the tyres as well is quite an important factor. So you get three and a half sets for the whole weekend. And Danny just made a good point about whether you... Uh, sort of uh, talking about aero, whether you have the aero on for qualifying and then um, peel it off for the races or sort of where you're starting each race, where you use new tyres is also critical. So, of course, you would maximise having new tyres in qualifying, but that still gives you a set or half a set to use in the races. Um, So whether you save a full set for the race or half a set for the race or maybe you've qualified badly, so you use a full set for the the qualification race, it's another exciting variable that can really affect the outcome of the the whole event that's a, that's a good point actually because um obviously last year for just one year um the race went to pirelli and you you were allowed five sets of tires so effectively it took that strategic variable out out of the equation completely um back on yokohama again this year as it was every year from 1983 to 2015 and with three and a half sets 
um, as an engineer, is that something you really like um, as par- part of the weekend, just just getting that strategy yeah, they, right? They, they gave us five sets of tyres last year on the Pirellis because they were a little bit concerned about whether they'd last. It, it turns out they were fine anyway. They ran no problem. I think we did 250 plus Ks on one set and they were they were still fine. And then everybody had to start the Grand Prix on a, a new set of tyres. So, so it, it was a little bit of a leveller in that respect. But I'm I'm more than happy that it's gone back to Yokohama's. I think it's a, a brilliant F3 tyre. It's very durable. Um, you know, it, it's... I wouldn't say it's uh, not got a peak, but, you know, as a street circuit develops and the grip increases over the weekend, the um, you don't notice the peak as much... I'm happy at being on Yokohama's. I think there's a lot of history as well with Yokohama and the Macau Grand Prix. So for me, it's it's, it's good. Talking a bit about the possible strategy of the race, one thing that could be different this year is the use of the full course yellows. They've been used in European F3. The race director, Tamas Zetner, has used them quite quite well. Well, obviously, Marcus, you'll know better than me having covered it. But that could slightly change the character of the race, couldn't it? Because rather than sometimes you get stuck in these series of safety cars and and yellow flags and race stoppages it's a little it's another option that can maybe keep things a little bit more stable in terms of if you've got a lead you're you're more likely to be able to keep it well i i think back over the years and some of the most exciting moments uh in the races that i can remember have been caused by safety cars um i think if they'd been using Full course yellow for the last 15 years, we would see some different winners on that list. Um, one incident that springs to mind, and I'm sure there's many like it, 2005, Robert Kubica was leading the race, two laps to go, and our very own Danny Watts here had an incident in the mountain, um, caused a safety car, one lap dash, and he was overtaken on the last lap by Lucas Degrassi. Um, yeah, Lucas paid me a big brown envelope for that. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, had that been a full course yellow, then Kubica would have won the race. I'm sure there's, you know, loads of instances like that. It's part of the, the challenge um, is being able to do a good safety car restart. You know, do your homework, look at what the options are, where you can go, the best way of doing it. Um, it seems simple, but there's a, a, a lot that can go into a safety car restart. I think the full course yellows are great. I think they keep the racing more, e- you know, even. But um, as a fan, I prefer the safety cars. I hope I don't end up eating my words there, but we'll see. Actually, one of the keys to Antonio's win last year, wasn't it, was an absolutely masterful handling of the uh, second safety car in the race where he, he went really early, didn't he? Yeah. You know, like I say, there's so much you can do. Um on a safety car restart, you have to do your homework. Um, and Antonio did an absolutely perfect job on that last restart, um, as he did on the first restart when he was P2. He managed to get the toe on Kamara. But yeah, you know, it's a it's a variable and it's a tough one for the drivers, tough one for, for the rest of us watching in the garage as well. Looking at some of the other contenders, it's worth now hearing from Callum Eilert, who's among the leading group of contenders. He hasn't had a a brilliant season this year, still fourth in the championship, but he uh, he had the misfortune of leading at the start of the of the Macau Grand Prix itself last year, but was fifth by the time they got to Lisboa. So it's a good chance to hear from him and some of the challenges of the of the race for him. I definitely want to make up for this season. Uh, we've had a lot of potential and uh, not really executed the results um, this year. So 
for me, yeah, the focus in Macau is to do the best job I can and hopefully get on the top step. Um, obviously, it's the biggest race for us of the year. And I think, okay, it may not be to the championship status, but if you win Macau, everyone remembers. So it's after last year's performance in Macau, I think, to be fair, if I keep that up, should be quite a good one. Um, but there is a bit of a lottery sometimes, and I hope that it goes my way. Do you take encouragement from, from last year's form? You were one of the quickest there. I think you were second in the in the qualifying race and then fifth in the in the final, you were a contender for victory. So is that positive or is it also a little bit of a negative insofar as you know how external factors can play a part? Obviously, you had that that great start in the in the final, the, the Macau Grand Prix itself, which, of course, made you a, a sitting duck on the run down to Lisboa. So I think you went from first to fifth, didn't you, in acceleration zone as a result of making too good a start? Well, um, obviously, last year, I was in the top two up until the final race through all the practices through all the qualifyings and then the first race um so obviously the pace was there and unfortunately in the race I don't know we just dropped off we had no pace anymore uh I think there were multiple reasons but yeah it just just wasn't wasn't there for us um this year if I put myself in that position again then there's always a chance that okay you 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 can be in the lead at the right time and unfortunately last year I wasn't in the lead at the right time when I did my best start of the year um and then yeah ended up getting passed before the first proper corner um so hopefully this year I can maybe not do the best start and re- basically repeat what I did in race the first race which was just get a good good slipstream and pass a few people um but yeah as long as I sort of do the same thing just keep myself up there keep consistent no offs no crashes uh, and make sure I'm always there then there's always room to improve and you're not having to start from a bit further back uh, because you've had a crash or something like that so I feel yeah if I if I just put myself there then it's like with every driver the more consistent you are the more you can improve and hopefully by the final race it can be the best position I can be what's the secret to being quick at Macau it's a very tight twisty circuit quick in places now you have quite a, an attacking style I guess it's fair to say behind the wheel you might look at it and think well that's kind of a style that might not always be compatible with Macau because if you're a little bit out of shape a little bit off your line you can you can be in a wall but clearly it, it works for you there so balancing up that being attacking with the need to be extremely precise is something you seem to do quite well so how how do you do that yeah generally I'm quite uh, uh and attacking driver in terms of my driving style um in the races I could be a bit more actually but um yeah in terms of the driving I think the thing about being attacking is you can be quick anywhere in a way um but the difference is if you look at both my years one I crashed into the wall three times the other I didn't crash at all when I was in the top five top two the whole weekend uh at one of the hardest tracks in the world probably the hardest street circuit that I know of um and the difference was the first year I went there really confident but also not knowing um what would happen and I did my first qualifying and I was p2 um and already that was I I was pushing and I, I felt confident and I understood everything and then because I was already at a position where I felt I was fast and confident I went into the next qualifying and I wanted to improve more and I pushed too hard um and then yeah I ended up in the wall uh the experience so for the next year um 
instead of going in at the same point, being confident when I was fast, in the end, I just sort of took my time um, and built it up, which is what everyone says to do anyway. But to sort of fear the track as well, um, because I didn't really respect it the first time I went there. I know this sounds a bit silly, but you, I went, uh, I went there the second time, and because I've been basically hurt and you know crashed that many times, I, I respected it and I took my time. And I instead of going hard into the corners, I went slower into the corners and came out faster. Typical style in a way, uh, but in that way, I, you've got a lot more margin and you can improve a lot more. But that that was that was how I changed and I still had close calls like everyone does when they go there but it was it was a lot easier and the probability of me crashing was a lot lot less so yeah just just the pro- the approach and the whole way going through it was a lot calmer and a step down so I guess going into it it's basically repeat last year's approach and make sure that that the good fortune in Macau is is on your side yeah I think maybe I might even go a bit um a bit tamer as well this time and build up to it even more uh but yeah l- last year was really good and if i can repeat that that'd be great okay well thanks very much callum and best of luck for macau no problem thank you very much interesting thing callum said there danny talking about trying to take a tamer approach just in general is macau one of these places where the driver really has to be at one with the car in the circuit and not try and force the issue because if you try and force the issue that's when things really go wrong yeah it's that fine balance between full attack but being you know at 99.8% generally you leave nothing on the table in quali two because that's the only way of being quick around Macau fact it's a long track it's a two minute 10 12 lap time Um, and the times once it comes to that that Saturday that Friday afternoon Saturday race they're actually quite close there's not big huge gaps in between people so and everyone not even the newcomers that have not been there before they're actually starting to come up to speed and get used to the track and the teams are dialing the cars in more so actually by then you are leaving nothing on the table and it's you've maximum attack um yes there's red flags people crash but that is the fact of a street circuit. It's the same at Monaco. It's the same at Poe. It's the same to a certain extent, although much shorter at Norris Ring. And the funny thing about Macau is you do get sort of street circuit specialists. And we've seen it before in the past where, you know, actually Robert Kubica has always been absolutely fantastic. I'll never forget around Macau and on street circuits in general. Um, and those people always come to light. But certainly from a driver's perspective, it's that balance of being right on that knife edge but being as totally one with the car. I mean, I remember watching George Russell's pole lap from last year once we got the the card back from the car. And honestly, it is one of the best laps I've ever seen in terms of you watch the lap, then you come back and start it again and pause it and seeing how close he gets to the wall is incredible. But that complete and utter um, like uh, precision, accuracy uh, and, you know, driving at its best between the walls. Marcus, having listened to Callum there, I guess he's as good a driver to start with as any in terms of the contenders. There's maybe half a dozen drivers who are obvious challenges to, to London Norris. What do you starting with Callum, what what do you think of his chances of uh, of making good on the speed that he did show last year? I think he's got as good a chance as anybody really. Um I'll be interested to see this new concept of a tame approach. Um but um yeah, he's he's one of the drivers who we always look to for for doing something attacking, and um, if Prima if Prima have got the car halfway right, he's going to be right in the mix. 
Um, yeah, it's, he's definitely going to be up there. In last year's um, race, he, he was part of the leading group. And as you say, he, he was in front briefly. But um, they had a slight problem in the race on Sunday that, that dropped him down the order a bit. So he's got a point to prove. And he's also had a slightly diff- disappointing season. Um, not that he's not been quick, but it just hasn't as been as hasn't been as consistent as as he would hope and he's finished down in fourth place in the championship but um yeah he's a great attacking driver i fully expect him and lando to be battling out it out wheel to wheel at some point and really anything can happen joel erickson had a he's had a great season finishing second in the championship and really you'd say there was very little to choose between him lando norris and callum eilock at the end of the season over the last couple of race weekends. Yeah, he's going back to Macau um as somebody that people will be watching, but he did have a bit of a shocker last year. He um he had a very big crash in the first qualifying session and that kind of knocked his confidence a bit and and set him back and um he was just getting up to speed again when he got involved in a in a tangle that was just one of those Macau things in the uh, in the main race. So so he didn't have a good time last year. I think the key there will be just pretty much forgetting about what happened last year but he is quite a mentally strong guy so i would i would expect him to be right there from the beginning matt we'll put you put you on the spot there's a couple of drivers there that, that marcus has mentioned uh joel erickson and uh and callum Isla. are they not ones you're worried about but when you're kind of keeping an eye on on some of the ones who could be the competition are they the ones that you're well keeping I, close tabs on yeah i would say worry is the right word because callum Isla is a a cracking driver and um if he like if he turns up at 100% then he's going to he's really going to be strong and he's going to be at the front one of very few guys who can actually drive at over 100% and uh the current day Jean Alessi <laughs> wild to watch blindingly yeah. quick i think is um he pushes and and this circuit really rewards someone who is brave and he's a brave driver um, also, Joel Eriksson, I think, is a, a cracking driver. I'm a big fan of his. I think he's very, very good. Um, so, you know, Eilat, Eriksson, even Gunther, you know, they're going to be there or thereabouts. And, you know, it's it's not, you can call us the favourites. We're not treating ourselves as the favourites. We're really putting in a lot of work to make sure that we do the best job we can. Marcus, what do you make of Maxi Gunther's chances? Obviously, he's part of the Primer entry like uh, like Callum Eilert. I think the important thing for Maxi Gunter is to just go there without feeling any pressure to do well because um, I think we've we've seen him a little bit maybe a little bit subdued this year um, compared to what we saw in 2015 and 16 his first couple of years I think um, there was quite a bit of pressure to win the championship and I'm not sure that he was really pulling 100% out of it all the time because it, it looked like he was perhaps being a bit conservative and collecting the points quite a bit. So he just needs to um, go into Macau without any preconceptions or expectations. And he's he's talented enough to do well. Um, and he will definitely be in the mix. And uh, if anything happens to the other guys around him, he could easily win it. I, I guess the other driver that, that stands out is Sergio Set Camaro, who's on the podium last year. He's another driver who on his day has had some some great moments but maybe the days aren't as as frequent as they should be well his formula three career was always 
always a bit up and down. It was there was never really much of an explanation for why he'd be blindingly quick in one session and then midfield in the next. But he always seemed good at Macau. Um, he set um, he set a new lap record on the very last lap of the 2015 race, which was his first visit to Macau, and that wasn't beaten last year. And then and that was with Motor Park, who he's going back with this year. So. Um, so that car is good around Macau. Um, he obviously switched to Carlin for the 2016 Macau and, and could have won it if it hadn't been for that second safety car, um, but uh, ended up third. And uh, he was pretty emotional about that, wasn't, wasn't he, Matt? I, I remember seeing him afterwards, quite a few hours afterwards, and he was uh, so delighted. Yeah, well, he was, he was very close. Um, the first two laps, three laps of the, the main race, when he got into the lead, he was he was excellent. He pulled a, a very strong gap out of Antonio. Um, I think Antonio was coming back at him, but yeah, he, he's going to be there or thereabouts. You know, don't write him off. He, he, even though he's been doing GP2, uh, Formula 2, sorry, all season, he's going to be strong. Well, if I'm uh, going to put my Hong Kong dollars on a, a driver, if I'm in a, one of the many Macau casinos, and I'm going to go for an outsider. Now, I'm going to have a go at saying his name, and I'm sure... You'll correct me if I'm wrong, but it's uh, the Tom's Toyota driver that finished runner-up in the championship, and I'm going to have a go at Show Tsubi. Tsubi. Saboy, isn't it? Saboy. Ah, so, oh, miles away. Close enough. Well, I could recognise it. There you go. Yeah, but and I, that's just an outsider for me because we touched base on a lot of the European drivers, but we haven't sort of mentioned anyone from Japan, and you can never. Um, you can never count them out, I don't think. And Tom's always bring a good car. Their engine's normally strong. Um, struggled a little bit last year, but yeah, possibly he'd be my outside bet. Um, well, if we're going outside bets, I'm torn, but I quite fancy Jayan Derivala. Um, he's had a bit of an up and down year in, in the European Championship, but he was very strong in, in the Norris Ring, uh, another street circuit. I think... He's going to adapt reasonably quickly. You know, I, I think he'll be up there and it'll be nice to, to have a, a rookie. What about a non-Carling driver? Uh, <laughs> Nobody, right? <laughs> no, I think um, maybe Yamashita. It'll be his fourth visit, I think. Um, finished fourth last year. Hopefully the BMAX squad can give him a good car. He'll have a good engine in the Volkswagen. I've, I've got an outside bet as well who I might be tempted to go into uh, one of those casinos but um how about alex palou he's in the drago course car with the tome engine that t-sport ran last year with um with kenti yamashita and they finished they finished fourth with that um palou's been to macau before he went there with fortec three years ago when he he only just done a season of euro formula open so it was his fiaf3 debut and he was quite quick a little bit crashy but um it's kind of what you'd expect for someone on their first year. Um, but uh, the Drago team took over that Tome engine project this year, the three bond funded project. And um, they're, they're bringing um, the old T-Sport engineer, Zimba, who's been with Hitech this year. And he ran um, Kenta Yamashita to, to fourth place last year. So, um, so I'm, yeah, they're, they're my, they're my outside shot. I might be tempted to uh, say, look at the, Formula Renault boys as well, Dan Tictum and Sasha Finestra, um, because uh, I think Dan was pretty quick last year, um, and he's he's another driver like Callum Eilat, who you know is going to be quite entertaining to watch, 
and uh, Sasha Finestra coming off the Euro Cup title, uh, going there with Carlin. And he's also, um, he's got a fantastic record on street circuits in the junior formula. So there could be a dark horse as well. And there are a couple of, of famous surnames on the entry list who aren't kind of obvious people to tip, but Mick Schumacher at Prima, Pedro Piquet, Van Amersfoort, obviously drivers who've had uh, mixed seasons. What do you reckon, Marcus? Are they, are they drivers who fans of uh, of junior editions of famous drivers could could get behind? PK had quite a good Macau last year, actually. He finished, um, I think he finished ninth. Um, he's with Van Amersfoort Racing. He've had, you know, by any standards, a disappointing season, but they always seem to have quite a quick car in Macau. So, yeah, <clears throat> PK, he's, he's quite sensible. He doesn't doesn't do stupid stupid things he's probably not going to be in the fight for pole position but i definitely wouldn't rule out a top four or five for him um mick schumacher i think it's going to be a, a lot more difficult um obviously his father and his uncle both won macau um but you know, for him yeah he'll be coming back to formula three next year we can be pretty sure of that even though it's not been announced um and yeah for him it's just going to be a case of racking up as many laps as he can without putting it in the wall well, i'm gonna to have to put everybody on the spot i think i'm gonna go for just to be um just to be different to what i expect the other guys to say i'm 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 gonna go for joel erickson i think but really i think there's three or four people who i would say are, are, are very difficult to split how about you danny you're on the spot next <sighs> well it's difficult i was already writing down lando assuming he was attending all sessions. But if you miss a session, I know how much that can possibly hurt. So it's difficult. Um, I'm going to go for bust. I'm going to put all my money on red. And it's it's either going to end up in the wall or he's going to win it. Callum Eilat. And Matt, for you, have to make the rules a little bit different. We'll, we'll kind of set Lando to one side Ooh. and say who's going to be the, wow. the best place driver who is not. Lando Norris, because it'd be okay. rather unfair to Well, you. obviously, if you hadn't have said that, I would have said Lando. Uh, I'm going to stay patriotic. I'm going to say Jay Anderavala to come out with a, 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 a win on his debut. But it says a lot, doesn't it, about this race as to how, how difficult it is to to predict who's going to win. I suppose I should throw in my prediction because nobody's actually been able to predict Lando Norris. I can just say, yeah, it's going to be Lando Norris. So I'll be able to take a clip from this podcast and say, oh, so I was right at the end of it. But no, it's a, it's a, it's a hugely uh, a hugely challenging challenging race. But Marcus, just coming back to, to where we started, the kind of the importance of Macau, you know, even though the entry is a little bit reduced this year, which is possibly connected to the fact that F3 entries overall are a little bit reduced. There's not so many championships going on do you see this being a race that that continues to have a, a bright future even in what might be called the post very bland era it's difficult to say at the moment because that area of the sport is a little bit up in the air at the moment we know that the new international formula three is coming for 2019 um, we don't know whether macau would be a round of that championship or whether it would be a standalone event where other drivers could come in and do it. Um, we don't even know whether it would be for International Formula 3. We're just assuming it would be. Um, so um, those th- there's a lot of water to go under the bridge on that. And um, 
all I can say is that this year's race, it, yeah, it is a slightly smaller entry, but it's an it's an absolutely crucial time of the season. Um, everyone wants to get noticed at the end of November um, when they're going into the off season, and um, and I think that it is going to be a really really competitive race, and um, and I think it will be again next year, which will be the last year of the current Formula Three regulations. Um, and actually, we're probably, from what I've heard, we're looking at actually a stronger grid in the European Championship next year because there seems to be a lot of drivers who uh, want to step up to it from Formula Renault, Formula 4 and and those lower categories at the moment. Well, certainly a lot to look forward to. For those who want to follow the Macau Grand Prix, it all gets going on Thursday. It's a, it's a four-day four day event. So there'll be all the, the coverage from, from Marcus, in fact, on, uh, on autosport.com of all the practice and qualifying and, and the races themselves. You can also check out his preview in the uh, in the autosport.com plus subscriber area. So thanks very much to to Danny Watts, to to Matt Ogle, and to Marcus Simmons for the the insight and the uh, the preparation they've given our listeners to uh, to enjoy the Macau Grand Prix. Thanks very much for joining us. We'll be back soon with another Autosport podcast. Music is 6am by Trilo, written by Marcus Simmons. See soundcloud.com forward slash Trilo Music. redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. The, is it morning yet, deal. How about now? Or now? Because morning time is McDonald's breakfast time. And that's the best time of all the times. Wake up with a little splash of sweetness. Get any size iced coffee from caramel to hazelnut to French vanilla for just 99 cents until 11 a.m. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. 
coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.